obviously in the restaurant industry are down, but the sales in retail are skyrocketing because everyone's mm. going and buying insane. I mean, it's like end of days. Like people are going out and being like, I need to spend $700 on booze. I'm like, what? That's like my annual budget for booze in my house. Why did you do that in a week? Like, right. I think people like that fear of stuff, I think is, is a really interesting thing to look at of like how people have been scared into, like it all started with the, the lack of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that fear came from. Like, was it a fear that it was running out? Was it a fear that the next batch was coming from China and was going to be covered in COVID? Like, <laughs> I, I, st- I still don't. I still don't think anybody knows. I, I think I, 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 I really don't think anybody knows. I had this ridiculous conspiracy that it was like um, one of the toilet paper companies had built this whole COVID nineteen thing up with that just to make their sales spike before the end of the year. The cerebral entertainment. Thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. For this episode, we bring you our good friend, John Beebe. John is a small business owner slash entrepreneur. He's a podcaster and definitely a lover of life. And he's also quite British. We had a great time speaking with John about topics, including what he has been up to since the last time we spoke, which so happens to have been a couple of years ago, and we're going to try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Also, the way that his clothing design business, By Jack, has shifted its approach due to the coronavirus. And of course, we have to touch on some conspiracy theories when we've got John with us, and much, much more. Be sure to check out John Beebe on the socials, that's J-O-N-B-E-E-B-Y on the socials, and Let's Get Comfortable podcast. Go check them out where all great podcasts can be downloaded. Uh, go check out By Jack on the socials and byjack.com. That's B-Y-J-A-C-K.com. And yeah, that may sound familiar to you because that's where you can also pick up your official CEP merch, which is at byjack.com slash CEP. So without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. What's up? How's it going, buddy? And with us today on the line, Mr. John Beebe. John, it's been too long, man. How you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It has. It's been, what, nearly, what, two years, three years? Uh, yeah, it's been a I, long time. Yeah. I think I think the first time I know that we did it was at your house somewhere in, in the city. I can't yeah, even yeah. remember the... It's been that long ago that I just remember <laughs> being in a house and we were doing that thing. I'm still but, in the same uh, place, amazingly, yeah. But yeah, down in uh, like South City. There you go. Okay. And then we had another attempt that didn't turn out, didn't pan out when we were somewhere with uh, Mr. Denman and Mr. Anderson. Oh, yeah. And uh, the recording ended up being just atrocious. And, yeah, I remember. You know, we wasn't tr- the, the HVAC turning on and off like throughout the entire thing? It, yeah, and it was right <laughs> above our head. Oh, and this God. wasn't just your your run of the mill HVAC, right? This was a, a jet engine <laughs> powered like super loud wind tunnel. I, I, I don't know. It was it was incredible, but yeah, that that audio did not pan out. But man, it's good to see you again, John. Why don't you catch us up? What's going on with you nowadays? Oh well, I mean, what since I saw you and I was running by Jack out of my front living room, and then we've moved that into. Um, a, a, a spot downtown uh so we're kind of in midtown we're um kind of near the fox theater in st louis um but we merged three separate companies together so we have like a publicity arm 
we have a podcast and recording studio, um, and then um, by Jack still doing all of its merch stuff on that side. But yeah, it's uh, it was a bizarre kind of change of going from like, hey, get up, don't even get out of your pajamas and keep working, to like getting up every day, going to the office, and then you know going home at a reasonable time and stuff like that. So sure, that whole, that whole putting pants on thing sucks, doesn't oh, it? It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> But I, actually, and to be honest, it's it's been like a quantum shift in how I work as well because I don't like going home now and then like pulling out a laptop and carrying on working. So my work day finishes when I leave the office, which mm-hmm. is mentally, I think, a really, really solid thing, you know, that I don't think you notice when you work from home and you're doing any sort of small business stuff because you can work any time of day or night. So um it's definitely a nicer kind of vibe now that i like go home and it's like oh yeah i don't have to deal with anything yeah so. yeah i i don't have i don't i don't own a small business or anything but i am i'm always preaching separation from work and home if yeah. you can you know i know some people can't and especially now with a quarantine a lot of people are actually working from home uh regardless of where they work but I believe in that separation because I don't like to bring too much work home and I don't like to bring a lot of home to work. Yeah. And it gives me this kind of, uh, I don't just this stark separation that I, I, I value. I think it gives me an edge in both my home and my work life. And so it sounds like you're kind of on that same track right now. Yeah, for sure. I think that definitely having that side of stuff where it gets, I mean, when we kind of blew up, there was a, a project that we worked on when we had the XFL start in St. Louis and we did some kind of knockoff merch stuff um, for that, like all of their kind of battle cry stuff. It got really intense where it was like my phone was dinging every time we got an order and stuff like that. And over opening weekend was just like, I mean, it got to the point that it was like three or four every kind of like 10 minutes. And it got insane to the point that it was like, my girlfriend was just like, wait, can we turn those notifications off? Because every time there's this like micro celebration of like, yay. And then there's the terrifying thing of like, wait, what's this accumulated to? How many orders do we need to make? Because we make everything to order. So then it's like, okay, how crazy is this week going to be? And then you can never switch off. And finally it got to a point where I was like, yeah, I actually need to do it where it's not on my cell phone or I can mute that notification when I come home so that I'm not, otherwise I'm just like, the last thing I do at night is like, look at the analytics of the website, like who's on the website, who's, what's our conversion rate, blah, blah, blah. Like there's so many numbers that you keep going over and over and over. And then when you see one thing down 5%, 10%, you're like, wait, how can we change that? Like, let's start doing more email marketing or social media stuff, and blah, blah, blah. So I think having that side of stuff where you can really shut down and really go, no, I've got to like turn everything off to the point that it got to a point where I just, I didn't even have my work email on my phone for a while. Whereas it's like, I need to be, when I'm sitting at my desk, I'm fully locked in. But then when I'm away from it, there is a, and it's quite freeing. It's that same feeling, like the feeling I had from it was, you know, when your phone, your cell phone battery dies and you're like, ah, for like 10 minutes. (laughs) And then finally you go, it's cool. I've got this. I've got this. And you have these like micro panics, but actually over the longer period of time, your, your kind of well-being is definitely like heightened. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You you had mentioned the Battle Hawks. Uh, I mean, I imagine that it's going to affect you pretty, pretty hard now that they're talking about not even coming back with the XFL. So it definitely. Well, okay. So what happened was when the whole COVID nineteen thing happened, it was we were still like crushing. Like every single day, we were just like, okay, this is it. Like to the point that we were going to expand our business, like get two more employees. Like we just knew that 
that was a really, really big part of our business. But then also we still had all of our like uh, major fulfillment where we're doing five, 600 t-shirts or whatever for different clients. And then COVID-19 happened, sports started shutting down and then the XFL just stopped. And it was, honestly, it was like someone just pulled the emergency brake on a, on a car doing 70 miles an hour. Like just sales just stopped overnight. And that was the most terrifying thing. Like the loudest noise was no noise at all. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the good thing was is that we built this business up from, from nothing, from basically no investment, um, no money in there. And the whole thing was always, how do we make money? How do we make money? Like through this and like without investing tons of money. Like you can run any business if you pump, you know, 100,000 into it. So our our side was like let's go back to the basics of what we did and our core value at Bijack is to help people no matter what it is it's just helping people out so no minimum numbers all this sort of stuff so we went back to you know what we've been doing with you guys for what nearly six months like a year probably about like, that yeah mm-hmm. like making one-off t-shirts for different companies so we sat down with uh, Josh Aker from Brotherly and the Leather Jackals works for me and me and him sat down and just said, right, who should we go and like approach and say, look, you can make money while you're shut down and, and do all this stuff. So we listed out every musician, every comedian, food truck, restaurant, like anyone that would listen to us. And we panicked like day one and two. And I was like, right, just get any, it doesn't matter. Like just get anyone on there. And then we kind of came to the realization that no one was like leaving the house. So this was the perfect, it was like cast a net, 100% record on catching fish. It was just like, we could literally contact people who were just sitting at home and had nothing better to do and offer them, we can give you a revenue stream. And from that, like, you know, we were just like reaching out to anyone from like Tanina, who's, you know, a St. Louis musician, Mm-hmm. Uh, to the Albert Pujols Foundation and things like that. Like, and they're the big name stuff. Like when, you know, everyone's always super busy and doing events and running around and doing their day-to-day, you can't get hold of them. And now all of a sudden it was like, oh, we know where everyone is. Like this is a really easy thing to sell to people. And the fact that so many people lost money over this. Like it was something that we then started to be like, okay, let's do this. And our whole aim again, like going back to the core value of, really trying to help people was like, okay, we're going to reduce all of our costs. We're going to try and give as much back to people as we can, like through this, to try and raise money for them and and build everything up. Um, But it's been amazing as well because we're obviously a small business. So we've also had people say to us, like, no, 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 you've got to still make money and stuff like that. We're like, well, we're doing this kind of spread spread the net as wide as we can side of stuff rather than be like, let's go after one client and really crush them for as many T-shirts as we can sell them. So it's just been, it was definitely a pivot moment and kind of like respecting that every single day was going to be a very, very different day for us. And some were going to be huge wins and others were going to be like really brutal, you know? And with anything mm. like this, it's it's really funny. The people that we work with, the people that essentially <clears throat> we think aren't going to make us any money are the people that just absolutely crush it because they've got nothing to lose. And they're like, yeah, let's let's go for it. So... I mean, like, I think probably our biggest seller in the last two weeks has been uh, Gramophone, like the sandwich restaurant in the Grove. And they've just absolutely dominated because we went kind of live with them and I was like, oh, you know, it's a sandwich shop, blah, blah, they've, their Their following is so deep and so kind of passionate about what they do. 
And the fact that they're giving all of the profits to the Gateway Resilience Fund is just, it's been nuts for us. So, Perfect. Yeah, so it's been this thing from losing the XFL to, and obviously we were kind of like, oh, it's fine, it'll come back next year. And, you know, to Colt's point, like, now we're like, oh, nah, it's not coming back. <laughs> it builds really nicely into our business model, which is we don't have anything overstocked. I think the only thing overstocked we've got are like some of our trucker hats that we did because we started going down to the tailgating and starting selling that on the street. But aside from that, nothing, we're not sitting there with, you know, $10,000 worth of merchandise that we're like, oh, what are we going to do with this now? You know? Yeah. So it's just been a, it's been a really, really interesting couple of months because you, you build and build and build over, I mean, we've been known by Jack now for four years. And it's really interesting. You see this kind of like slow growth of it going up and then it drop and you go, okay, how do we go back to, you know, our roots, which is hustling really all day and every day. Yeah. So a couple of things here, John, first of all, I just realized, I just noticed that I can't hear myself in my headphones. So oh. if I'm screaming into the mic, just <laughs> let me know to back off. All right. <laughs> Because I don't mean to, it, I'm you know I, I'm, I get pretty intense, but I'm not that intense. But also, <laughs> I, I wanted to note that you mentioned Joshua Eakers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've noticed him on social media lately, just blowing up social mm-hmm. media with just the different kinds of shirts that you all are making, yeah. representing all these different like companies and brands and things like that. He, that's that's been an amazing like illumination. I, I've I've taken note of that. I'm like, wow, they're doing something different. They're doing something new. Yeah. And I, th- I think that was a really good step. And it sounds like that came out of kind of the the ashes of, of you know, the COVID quarantine and, and the loss of the XFL, things like that. And so I just wanted to commend you all for for that step because I it, it worked on me. I'm like, wow, these guys are they're hustling right now. Well, they're doing is, that thing. In all honesty, like that is I have this like huge mental block with social media for me. Like I've I've loved brands from i mean as long as i can remember and the first <laughs> hilariously the first brand i loved was america like, i remember coming to america when i was about 10 years old and becoming almost subconsciously obsessed with the american flag like it's such an amazing design it's a very powerful design take away any political or like ethical problems or you know anything that you want with that like take that away but it, just the icon of it is america is the biggest brand in the world and so yeah. I've always loved that. So when it comes to social media and like posting stuff and things like that, like for me, everything you say is part of your brand story and your brand messaging. So you can't rush it to the point that if I think, Colt, I think it was you that actually messaged me at one point. You were like, hey, man, like haven't heard anything on social media from you guys. Like, are you still around? Are you still in St. Louis? Like, blah, blah. we hadn't posted for a year and a half on social media and we were growing like not mass growth and i've never wanted mass growth for by jack it's all about slow growth it's someone once described it it's a chip pan fire or bonfire like what do you want you know for a business you want a bonfire something that's going to last your chip pan fire is just up and then it's gone you know so i think for me it was like okay right well we've got to do this and the branding's got to be right we've got to have the logos in the right place we've got to get the great photos we've got to get the best copy and all that sort of stuff Josh, on his own, and Whitney, his wife as well, Whitney's been in just kind of doing a, an unpaid internship. She just came in. She's like, look, I just want to help and help the business and anything I can do to help, like, let me know. And so they've been in, you know, working and doing stuff, and we're just sitting there going. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I want to get to social media. I want to get to social media. And then Josh just one day, like, I 
looked at my phone. It's like I had like 27 notifications. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I thought something had happened at the Battlehawks or something like that, all these groups that I followed. And it was just everything was Josh just posting like, here's the link, here's this, that, and the other. So he took that on himself and, and it's coming from him personally. And I think that gives a really nice vibe to what is going on there. Like Josh is absolutely integral to this company. And, and he also realizes like without it being successful, he doesn't have a job anymore as well. So it wasn't like, hey, you've got to go and do this to make sure that this carries on. Mm. He sees the longevity in this. And it was one of those things of like, it, I mean, I thought I'd come up with this myself. And then I've been watching a lot of obviously TV and stuff and, and movies. And, and it seems to come up quite a lot, which is that like, don't think of this as a company, think of it as a family. And I genuinely like, genuinely believe that. And so when I say it, like, that's what I genuinely mean. But then I hear this, like, you know, kind of BS that goes around with that. And it's like, we're all a family. It's like, no, we're all in it to make money, basically. But it is one of these things that, like, we sat down straight after, like, the whole shutdown happened. And we just went, right, how, what is, I was very honest with it. It was like, this is where we are, like, fiscally in the company. This is how we're going to be able to do stuff. What is the best way of us together? How can we make this work? You know, keep getting mm. you guys paid and all this sort of stuff. So it's definitely been like a huge team effort of bringing in new sales lead, building stores, working with people and, and things like that. And it's, I think it's always one of those things that I think I have to commend them for the extra work they put in and the, the belief of what they're doing. And then, I don't know, I just, I really enjoy the fact that we have, like I've built a company up where people want to do that. They could very easily have just gone, nah, we're good. Like, we don't want to do this, like, and not yeah. work with us. But we've built this culture in our company that is, it's fun. It's, it's very much taking care of one another and making sure that we all come out on top at the end of this. There's no one sitting there being like, okay, what are the numbers looking like? Because I still want to go on my six ski holidays this year, you know? Um, right. And we all work together in that way. So, yeah. So uh, you mentioned small business, and there's, there's a lot of small businesses out there that are having a really hard time. I feel like the food and drink service industry is probably getting hit like at least one of the hardest um, from the people that we've talked to. But how hard, I, I guess, in comparison, if you know anybody in that industry, are, are, what kind of comparisons can you give us to your industry versus like the service industry and, and maybe some of the differences and, and how much is, is that same kind of effect going to affect by Jack? Well, none of by Jack is based on a brick and mortar store. Like we're in, sure. a, we're in the Kranzberg Arts Foundation building in Midtown. Um, we're on a coded elevator floor. Like people can't just walk up and buy stuff. So very much, and because we linked with, um, because we're linked with charities um, and raise money for charities and stuff like that, we're deemed an essential part of the workforce. Um, nice. As much as I very much argue that, like t-shirts are non-essential, but the way that we've made sure, like we're very, very kind of um, aware of what's going on and making sure that like, for instance, if, you know, I was going home and then going out to parties and things like that and being a moron about it, it would be very irresponsible to then come in, make t-shirts, put them in a bag and start mailing them all over the country. But everyone that comes in, I say everyone, me, Josh, Whitney, anyone that's linked to that side of stuff, 
is either here or they're at home or they're at the grocery store. So we're just all being insanely careful with everything, Lysoling packages that are coming in, like making sure that everything's as clean as we can get it. Um, so we've never relied on people knocking on our door or just walking in off the street. So we're very much mm -hmm. an online platform. Um, I will say that in like other parts of our company are linked with live events and things like that. We've got a connection with Brown Foreman um, and Jack Daniels and stuff like that. And what's really interesting is they said that like over at Brown Foreman was that the sales obviously in the restaurant industry are down, but the sales in retail are skyrocketing because everyone's mm. going and buying insane. I mean, it's like end of days. Like people are going out and being like, I need to spend $700 on booze. I'm like, what? That's like my annual budget for booze in my house. Why did you do that in a week? Like, right. I think people like that fear of stuff, I think is, is a really interesting thing to look at of like how people have been scared into, like it all started with the, the lack of toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that fear came from. Like, was it a fear that it was running out? Was it a fear that the next batch was coming from China and was going to be covered in COVID? Like, <laughs> I, I, st I still don't. I still don't think anybody knows. I, I think I, I, I really don't think anybody knows. I had this ridiculous conspiracy that it was like um, one of the toilet paper companies had built this whole COVID nineteen thing up with that just to make their sales spike before the end of the year. <laughs> but it, you know, it was. It was like that bizarre thing of that, of like, you know. Which companies are actually doing well out of this, you know, out of this yeah. whole thing? Like Amazon must be doing insanely well. Delivery mm. companies must be doing insanely well as well because people that originally would have done in-store pickup or, I mean, even the stuff that we're doing. Like we, we have a company in the north side of St. Louis that supply us with all of our materials. And they sent stuff via FedEx and it took six days to get to us. And I was like, I can't, I can't run a company that takes six days on turnaround for materials. So I've now made a, I've negotiated with them that it's like, I'm going to come to your warehouse. You're going to leave it six foot away from the door. I'll pick it up, like leave it on the floor. We don't have to exchange anything. I'll snap mm -hmm. a photo and send it to you saying that I've picked it up. But it's, but then, because FedEx is really, really ballsed up on the fact that they've said certain areas they're not delivering to. And I don't know where that came from either. So, But I know that then UPS are doing that, of like just saying we're going to keep delivering. So there are definitely companies that are doing well out of this, and then there are other companies that are going to fall by the wayside because of what's happening. So, And no one wants to see unemployment go up. But there is also a side of it of like, were we kind of, were we in line to have this like thing go where we were just like, we need to just do a big hard reset of all industries, you know, because it's going to yeah, flatten industries for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We talked, we, I think we talked about this on our last uh, cerebral chat that we did, but I'm curious on like what Walmart's numbers actually are now compared to before all this happened, just because, I mean, you, they can't keep shelves stocked, but what they're, what they are stocking is like your toilet papers and your essential stuff. So people aren't buying TVs and stuff like that. Really. They're buying, the, the stuff that doesn't cost near as much now. So I'd like to see what their numbers are compared to when, before this all happened. Yeah, and I, but I think also as well, it's like, are they employing at the moment? Are they trying to get more employees in? Like, I know that, I think it was Walmart were talking about doing a walkout because of they weren't being given the correct protective gear to go into, you know, be stood around and stocking shelves while other people are there. Um, right. 
But again, I think that this is going to be like a huge reset. Like maybe it's going to be a thing where they just go, right, we're going to stock the shelves at the beginning of the day and then we're going to have people at cashiers or even just self-checkout. And you have to self-checkout and we've got one or two people in there that are in hazmat suits checking that you're not stealing anything. And then we kind of move forward from there, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, I know that they, they, they've been beefing up their night shift, right? Because they've been actually closing down mm-hmm. and uh, not being 24 hours because they have to have people that are cleaning and sanitizing the whole place and stocking shelves because they can't keep shelves stocked. Yeah. But like, what? how's Uber doing right now? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, no yeah. one's going in taxis. And how's mm. that going to be? Like, Because people that relied on Uber, like most people kind of look at Uber, Uber Eats, um, DoorDash, things like that. Most people look at those as like, some people do that as extra money, right? How do I pay the rent this month or or whatever else? But there are other people that legitimately do it all day, every day, and that is their full-time job. That's what they want to do. They've chosen to do it. And they're, you know, know, busting out, trying trying to make ends meet doing it. Now, when something like that, like Uber gets shut down, or even like the yellow cabs in New York, like think about that, like how much money people invest in getting those little plates on the, on the, um, you know, on their cabs and stuff like that. Like, that's someone's livelihood that overnight just stopped, you know? And then the government are going to say, okay, we're going to give you $1,000 or $1,200. Well, living in New York, I mean, what's that going to get you? Like a week? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, like, I think that it's just, I think it's a big hard reset and it's it's not a good thing. And in some ways, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, it's how you look at it and just a... I described it to someone the other day of like, it's almost like you're spinning, you know, 25 different plates, but each plate keeps the other plate balanced, if that makes sense. And you take one plate out and the whole thing starts to be lopsided. And so it's this very, very difficult thing to try and say like, what should anyone do? And it's very easy to kind of sit at home and be like, well, this is what I think the government should do. But that balance is so difficult, you know, to do. I mean, globally as well. Like, I'm not just talking about the US government, the UK, Spain, Italy, like all this stuff, it's just, it's terrifying to see, you know, what different countries are doing, but also how, you know, people are saying, well, this is what they should be doing, you know? And the political yeah. agenda that goes with it is, is just disastrous, basically. Yeah, how, how, how are things back home, like with your family and stuff like that? Are they going through, is it worse there or better there? Um, I think... I think the lockdown happened after in the UK. I think it was like a little bit later. Um, I mean, my family and stuff, everyone's, everyone's fine. Uh, my dad was a bit ill a couple of weeks ago. And whether it was COVID-19 or not, we're not entirely sure. But he was exhausted but had no respiratory problems. So, I don't know. There were, there were some things there of like having a fever and stuff like that. But we're not entirely sure. But aside from that, I mean, I think away from if anyone's actually medically ill or not, I think the psychology of everything is just people are now starting to settle into the fact that that what is the new normal? And the new normal is, in my opinion, quantum shifting every day. It's going from like, okay, the new normal is going to be, we're all going to, like no one's going to go to an office anymore to, well, we're going to have to go to an office. So how's that going to work? Are we going to all be in our separate cubicles and no one's going to talk to one another? Uh, whoever, what's the doctor's name that gives all the announcements in the US? Like Doc, Dr. Fauci. Yeah, Fauci, Fauci yeah. about how he said the other day, like no one's mm-hmm. ever going to shake hands again. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Like we've been shaking hands for hundreds of years. <laughs> I don't think one of these things is going to be a thing that we, you know, switch up on. Um, 
And I think that's the bigger side of it, of like what the psychology is of it. I don't think the British are as much into the fear-mongering side of stuff. I think like British people, in, and this isn't like me saying I'm British and this is how I deal with it, but it's like I think British people are a little bit more hardy and just like we're going to get through it. Like there's a, a saying in the UK of like a stiff upper lip, like keep going, we'll be fine, we'll get through this. Um but at the same time, like, until your entire economy gets crippled, like it has in Italy and Spain, like, you can't really say, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be fine. You know, I think the Australian prime minister said, like, people just need to be more Australian about it, and then they'll get through it. It's like, what? Why? How is that? How is that? How, how do I be more Australian? Just drink shit beer. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of rabbit holes I want to go down there, John. Um, sure. The first one, I, I, I really appreciate how you put the, the hard reset, and, and I've been thinking a lot about that because I think there's going to be you know several different categories, but three come to my mind. You're going to have people who are just devastated by this COVID-19, uh, not the, the virus itself, but because of the economy and just all the other fallout. Uh, then you're going to have people who I think are just going to, they're going to hunker down. They're going to be okay. They're going to make it and come out on the other side. Everything around them is going to be different, but they didn't see a, a, a sea change in themselves. Then I think there are going to be, be people who absolutely benefit from this. And I, I bring this up oftentimes, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Hillary Clinton that said, don't ever let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. And I'm not just, just talking about the government benefiting from it. And because I do, I, I, I believe that COVID-19 was a novel virus. It happened, you know, naturally. Um, I'm always willing to talk about other theories, but I, I think that's how it <laughs> happened. But I also think that there are people who absolutely benefit from it, including the governmental power grabs and corporations. I wondered about Charmin's numbers. What what is Charmin doing right was, now? Yeah. I mean, their numbers have to be just through the roof. And so I just, I really appreciated that. But uh, do you have any insight or just an opinion maybe on who it is that's actually going to benefit the most from this and why? Oh, 100% big business. Big, yeah. I mean, okay, if anyone can answer this, like why is Richard Branson and Virgin Atlantic getting a bailout? They are right. they are a service provider for the elite, right? Mm -hmm. And when I say the elite, I mean middle class and upper middle class. You know, if you want to fly to the UK, you can do it, or you know, you you used to be able to do it super cheaply through Zoom or uh, all of you know the Icelandic airlines and stuff like that. You can go super mm -hmm. cheap, but there are no TV screens in there. Like that's how I used to go back to the UK because I was like. Like it's it's eight hours, and it's not you know I'm not going there to have a luxurious holiday. I'm going home to work. So, Virgin Atlantic to me is a little bit like, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, should we bail out Tesla and Porsche? It's like no, we should bail out the cars for the people. You know, Ford Motor Company, in my opinion, yes, they make some supercars and stuff like that, but they make basic entry level cars for people to be able to afford automotive stuff. Sure. So my whole thought process is when we're ba when the government is saying Let, let's bail out this, like let's bail out the banks again. Like for me, they're the people that are benefiting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like Deutsche Bank in Europe. Like, I mean, look at the scale of like where Deutsche Bank is and like and how they're just like reprinting money to keep everything afloat. And it's like that's what's terrifying to me. 
is that then we go, oh, well, you know, the people should get a thousand. What what is it? A thousand two hundred is the is the starter, and then it goes down after that, right? Right. Yeah. Now, what if we just didn't bail out big business and took all mm-hmm. of the bailout money and said, okay, we're just going to then do the universal basic income, all right? Which is, you know, it's a socialist move and things like that. But realistically, here's my thought on that. And this isn't me saying like, this is the only way to do it. But you give the money to the people, no one in there is just holding on to that money. No one's sitting there going, I'm going to get rich just from this government. Everyone's going right. to spend it. Because if you like, if you make... 60,000 a year, right? And then the next year you make 70,000 a year. At the end of the next year, the end of year two, you're not sitting there with 10 grand extra in the bank because you've spent that 10 grand on another bottle of wine, a nicer meal. Oh, we'll get Ubers. We won't drive. Like, but like you spend that money. Like everything's, you still go paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't matter if you're making 70,000 or 120,000. It's just everything becomes a little bit more lavish and you buy nicer things. Right. So my thought process is always that. It's like if you give it to the people, then they will spend it back into the economy anyway. Right. So whereas you bail out big business, they've got a board and investors and all this other stuff to to go with. So I, it's a very utopic kind of way of looking at it, of being like, no, give the money to the people. Like people are also idiots like bear that in mind like we, we've all made bad financial decisions and things like that but you scale that up to big business they still make terrible decisions and terrible investments on a and, massive scale yeah exactly and then when right. things go wrong it's like well okay so Bo- boeing needs a bailout because they employ x amount of thousands of people it's like well then don't like it's <laughs> my thing is like pull that out like just say no then then kind of evolve or die like every other small businesses because, yeah, they're saying, oh, we're going to give small business loans to people. But most of them are loans. They're not grants. Right. So then the small businesses get screwed that way, you know, because then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, you've got to pay this back. Well, wait a minute. Are the bailouts all getting paid back? You know, and the big, like, big style, you know, Boeing, banks, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like, so I just think it's a, that's, I think the, the people that are really going to benefit a big business. Um, I'm not an economist. I'm not, you know, it's just, for me, it's always logic of just like, if you can, if you do it the other way around, because I also believe there is still, and to completely contradict what I just said, there is still a need for big business in the fact that it does employ so many people, you know, from whether it's CEOs all the way down to the the janitors that like clean the buildings and stuff like that. There's a massive workforce. I mean, there's a company in the UK that I, to com- to give you a comparison is the Walmart of the UK it's called Tesco's and there was a fact there was a a number given to me i mean years ago like when i was in high school there were more people that worked for Tesco's than worked for the UK military like every single division of the UK military wow probably the same effect in Walmart like if you think about the amount of people that work for Walmart mm-hmm. more people work for Walmart than work for the US military and so you think about that side of stuff of like the amount of people that are taking money out of that system and things like that and why that's important. There is also that side of it. But I kind of feel like you can do that through micro changes and making your business model more effective and things like that. Because I genuinely believe shops like Audi, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you've got Lidl over here or, or whatever, but you know these, these shops that only buy one style of something 
so that they can buy it en masse and then get you a cheaper price. I think people are going to become less, the consumer is going to become less bothered by it. They're just going to go, mm. ketchup is ketchup. I don't need six different flavors of ketchup, you know? So yeah, sure. I, th- I think it's going to, I think there's going to be a quantum shift in this. I think people are starting to realize the way that I kind of feel is it feels a little bit like a kind of definitely a light version or a diet version of what happened in World War II with rationing. Like people are starting to get a taste of like, you can't do whatever you want whenever you want. And then seeing kind of how that kind of moves forward after that. So. Yeah, I agree. I think it is definitely a shift. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like big business is going to come out on top. Because if you shifted to the the majority, the lion's share of the resources to small businesses back to the people who, in fact, are the ones that stimulate the economy, you would see an economic shift of gigantic proportions mm-hmm. in the world for the coming for, you know, for the next generation and the powers that be probably aren't going to let that happen. Right. That, you know, the big businesses, they, they already have the money. So therefore they're going to do whatever they can to hang on to that money, which includes of course, shifting that money to politicians who then in turn do their bidding. And I so I, say, no, I, no, I agree no small there. businesses lobbying politicians. Correct. <laughs> Now, but I mean, you know, talking about small businesses and loans, like uh, our, you know, our friend Jeff Britton with Exit Six Brewery, he was telling us, you know, that, uh, you know, his the landlord that owns the building that he's in won't give him uh, an extension or anything just for one month, and you know, the landlord's basically saying, just go get a loan. And the problem is, is that people don't know how long this is going to last. And if, if he do, if he goes and gets a loan just to stay afloat for two months, that doesn't that still doesn't mean that he's not going to have to shut his doors. He may still lose a business. So why go into more debt just to stay afloat for a couple of months and then still have to shut your doors? And that that I think is this the thing that I was saying about the like spinning plates is you can use it for anything. You use it for big business. I used it in an in, in an example the other day for uh, the dairy industry. Like the dairy industry we're looking at and we're saying like, okay, well, the dairy industry is suffering. And like I saw an article where they're like dumping thousands of gallons of milk because they don't know, they're overstocked, right? Now, at that point, like you think, well, why, wait, why? There's still the same amount of people, but they're not sending it to coffee shops and restaurants and all this other stuff, right? So in your example about the brewing company, right? That if he says, well, I can't pay my rent, Right. The landlord probably has to pay, you know, his mortgage and things like that, right? That mortgage money that goes into the bank, that is being paid to the staff at the bank and all that sort of stuff. There's this like chronic knock-on effect that goes on there. But here's the difference. If that brewing company, if if he says, right, I'm done, I'm out, like I'm we're gonna move out. The person that owns that building is still, if they have a mortgage that they need to pay, no one's moving in there for as long as this lasts. So it's almost like you kind of have to make these like barter deals, which are like, when we get back on our feet, then we'll get you paid back. Like, let's just do it in arrears or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this, it's a really difficult balance of doing that, of like, cut down your staff to as small as you can get it, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, try and pivot. I mean, we, we're working very closely with STL Barkeep, um, which I don't know if you guys have, have heard of. They do kind of uh, custom cocktails for people at live events and things like that. And obviously there are no live events. So they're doing everything from online happy hours to 
um, canning their own cocktails to the point that you can design your own cocktail through them and they'll can it up and can you up, you know, a case of cocktails that are your specific cocktails brought to your house. So there's, people are having to pivot really, really hard on how do we do this? How do we use the machinery we've got? And you're seeing that across the board as well, not just in small business, but how do we use our business to make money, help, support, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like a lot of um, places are like alcohol brand companies are using alcohol to then refunnel that into making, you know, alcoholic, uh, you know, um, hand sanitizers and wipes mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's always this side of stuff that is, you know, people are having to pivot no matter what, what industry you're in, you know, whether it's like by Jack to make t-shirts to support people or whether it's, you know, uh, like the formula one team, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's either Williams or McLaren have switched their entire R and D department into making, um, more effective and quicker built ventilators. Um, and, and Dyson as well, James Dyson from Dyson vacuums has has created a new ventilator as well that one ventilator can now ventilate i think 10 people or something like that that double check that but like it's everyone is like the engineers are doing that stuff the should i say the industry i wouldn't want to be in right now are the people trying to develop a cure like that must be the most frustrating just like there's no there's no until you actually make it think about how many people are working on that right now like every day you're going in and being like did that work nope okay next day (laughs) (laughs) another rabbit hole that we could go down is the uh the vaccine rabbit hole with bill gates and and that goes uh that goes pretty deep but before we get into anything else uh, the other thing i wanted to mention was you know you, you talked about john how uh dr fauci i believe it's you you said who who mentioned it said that we might not ever shake hands again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's there's thought experiments going around right now about the governmental power grab, and not just that, but the, I guess, the forced uh, social differences that are, that are going to come from the changes due to the quarantine of the COVID virus. What are your thoughts on, I guess, the the governmental influence right now and what you think we're going to see after this quarantine is lifted? Are we going to expect it to give – we've been given the elbow bumps. I call it the COVID bump. Yeah, so yeah. we're not even fist bumping. We're elbow bumping because I have a lot of clients and things like that who were used to shaking hands. I'm like, no, we got to do the elbow bump. Sure. Um, how much of that do you think is going to normalize and, and how much of it do you think the government is kind of setting us up and not letting that crisis go to waste? I, I, in some ways, I kind of think the Chinese have got it right. Should we all just bow to one another? Like, I mean, it shows so serious respect. Right. We don't need physical contact and stuff like that. Here's the thing, though. I think the U.S. government, in my opinion, they were so, like they were very anti all of this. Like the like the government they're in power right now were very anti what was what was going to happen and social distancing and things like that. True and very slowly said, okay, this is what we've got to do and blah, blah. So anyone that's saying like, this is a power grab by the government to make sure that we, if that was the case, like if they were doing this like, confi- I saw a post as well today that was like, you know, this is a forced confinement by the government to not allow us our freedoms. Like we should be going out there. I also saw a poster of like a, a freedom march where everyone should leave their house and walk together and stuff. And I'm just like, are you 
completely insane because this isn't a government <laughs> that is saying like they were not quick to the draw on this at all. I mean, like, you know, quotes of saying this is a hoax, this is all fake news, like blah, blah, blah. The reality hit New York real hard and real fast. And then people were like, okay, we've actually got to do something about this. Now, America is a huge place, huge place. And some states have not, you know, seen any, like anywhere near what New York's seen, right? Sure. Here's the thing that's getting super dark is um, I know this is definitely happening in, happening in Korea, North Korea, South Korea. Don't know. Um, yeah. But they're using everyone's cell phone data to double check everyone's social distancing. Mm. And you think, okay, well, it's Korea and they do stuff like that and people's rights aren't, we don't have the same freedoms over there as they do here and they've got other cultural, you know, beliefs and things like that. But it's also happening in New Mexico, like in the United States. Wow. So here's the big side of this. Governments never, ever relinquish stuff after, you know, after a, a, a big kind of catastrophe. Right. You know? Think about after 9-11, how mm -hmm. stringent all of the, um, kind of all of the security checks were getting onto a plane and all this sort of stuff. They and the Patriot through, Act. Yeah, and it went through the roof. Like, absolutely. Like, because everyone's terrified and everyone's like, we can never let this happen again. Right. So... Right, that that's fine, but then also there is there are things now that you go, well, wait a minute, is this absolutely necessary? And things actually, I think if you look beforehand, um, because I'm not completely like um, like a fay with the, what the Patriot Patriot Act is, and maybe you can expand on that a little bit more. But my main thing is, I guarantee they were trying to push that through Congress and all this stuff way before nine eleven happened, mm -hmm. and go down whatever 9-11 conspiracy you want to on this. <laughs> but I guarantee when stuff like this happens, they push a load of stuff under the carpet, which was why like a lot of stuff was going on with them holding up the COVID relief fund from the government yeah. was because they were trying to push 90 other things through with it. Because they were like, right. well, you're going to stand in our way. And it made the Democrats look like assholes because they were like, well, we're stopping this. And no one gets told why they're being stopped or anything like that. So I think that looking into that side of stuff, like it's a really, I think the people that are like how the government's going to change stuff, I think it will be more on a security. It's about control. It's always about yeah. control with government. It's not about, I would say that, you know, what, 200 years ago, everything was, the government was about helping the people and the church was about controlling the people. And then that's made a slight quantum shift into the fact that the government then served the government first. And then it turned into the government serving, whoever was in power was serving their party first, not the government, and then the people. And now it's become, and this isn't just in the United States, it's now become serve yourself first, then your party, then the government, and then the people. So, yeah. because if you look at that, if you look at even Boris Johnson in the UK, you can look at him, how he went for a power grab to slowly but surely over time make his way to the top. And it was about serving himself, not the country. You know, Just speaking, of, speaking of Boris, he's recovering now, I think, from yeah. COVID-19, right? Because he was yeah. pretty ill there for a minute. He was. He went into intensive care. He wasn't doing well at all. But yeah, he's uh, apparently sitting up. So that's that's the the latest headline. So wow, uh, but no yeah, care. I mean, I think it's anything like this. Like no one wants to see anyone, you know, 
no matter where you are politically, like you take out a leader, like if Trump got it and stuff like that, it doesn't matter if you you despise the guy. Like taking out a leader of a country in a pandemic or in a crisis is mm-hmm. not a good thing for the entire country. It doesn't matter which way you cut it. So, um, yeah. you know, when when that sort of stuff happens, you kind of have to leave your political stuff to one side, um, just because it's again, it's looking at what what it will do to the country, not. Not anything else. I mean, like, could you imagine that taking out any head of state or head of government right now and then being like, oh, we've got to deal with that as well as doing all of this stuff? The uncertainty would just mess with everyone pretty hard. Well, that, that's what they say, too, as far as crises go, like when it's an election year and stuff like that. You know, when there's a major crisis going on, more than likely the president is going to be reelected because you don't want to just change in the middle of something like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. So... But I mean, yeah, I mean, we could go into a whole political chat right now, and it's it's one of those crazy things that it's just like phew, you just well, you don't know. I mean, like, how do you how do you stand on any of this stuff with what's going on? And right now, we're in a thing where you need to be publicly seen. The thing that is killing the most people is targeting and really affecting older people. And the two people that we've got running for president right now are well into their seventies. That, I mean, that doesn't fill, fill me with confidence, no matter which way, you know, whether it's Trump or Biden, like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good long-term result on this side of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and politics doesn't surprise me. Nothing that's happening with the politicians through all this, uh, it hasn't been surprising to me. Uh, I guess I'm just waiting to be surprised by the cultural, I guess societal is a better way to put it, the shift that's going to come from this because there, this has to change things. I, I I don't see any way around it. And so maybe the never shaking hands thing is, is a little bit, I mean, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it's a little exaggerated, but it just seems like we're being kind of shifted to, to stay away from each other more, to cause a kind of separation. And it, it, hopefully after the, the COVID releases, we're, we're off of this lockdown that things kind of go back to normal. But I just wonder how much of this social separation we're going to carry with us either by uh, just proxy of the, of the quarantine that we're under or by the fear that we're going to have that this is going to happen again. And I'll be interested to see who's the ones pushing that agenda that fear agenda in the future. Maybe it's just the conspiracy theorists. Maybe it's the, the big businesses they are going to profit, maybe all the above, but it's just, I, I'm curious to see how this is all going to unfold. Well, well what, I mean, what, what, oppor- what opportunities does it give the government to be tracking phones to see if, to see what social distancing people are doing? I mean, is it just, to, I mean, do more quarantine, more shutdown in the future? What, what's the, I, I think it's kind of in, in this realm, it's as much data as you can get. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, if, let's say in New Mexico, right, they've got pretty low cases from what I know of right now, okay? So, and bear in mind, most of the information that I'm going on is through conversation and not hard research. So, let's bear that in mind before we take any of this as gospel. But, sure. Um, as far as I'm aware, New Mexico has fairly low cases. So, you track all the phones and... My view on how people do that would be the more data you've got, the better. So you can see that, okay, we're not social distancing that much, but our cases aren't going up. So we can then say that social distancing doesn't work, so we can move on to what we were doing that other people weren't doing, you know, with with more data and stuff like that. So 
I can see why there can be benefits in like a, a data-based realm of like the more data you've got, then the more, you know, results, you know, or at least conclusions you can come to. But I don't know in the in the long run there is no reason for that. But the like why they would ever relinquish it after they've you know signed it off and people have got you know phones fully tracked and the government tracking everything. Uh, are people are people fight, trying to fight back against that about against them being able to? I mean, if you have a cell phone, you've given up everything regardless. Yeah, I mean, everyone everyone signs those iTunes terms and conditions without reading them. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and I think I think the same way, Colt. I think that when we carry this little spy device in our pockets every day, that we already are, are giving away a lot of our uh, our freedoms, not just not for security necessarily, for convenience and for entertainment. And now you add fear on top of that. I agree with BB completely. The government, even if they weren't trying to push really hard. To, to get more access to information, so on and so forth, it still comes back that they never let a good crisis go to waste. And that fear that's driving society right now will cause us to want more security, and we will replace uh, our freedoms with that, with that security, at least the idea of it. But do you think over time, like we've been looking at this stuff and we've been warned time and time and time again, like, don't sign up for this, don't sign up for that. And in fact, actually this morning, I saw a thing that was just like, you know, uh, a snapshot, and it was from a tech company that was a snapshot that said, you know, favorite food is don't or stop. Uh, favorite color is this. And when you, when you read all the answers, it said, stop giving out all of your personal information so people can hack your passwords. Right. And it was, it's this thing of like, we jump into this stuff. It was like that, um, uh, what was it? The face, the aging, the face aging app that they did. Oh yeah, yeah. And apparently, it was built by a Russian company so that they could just have facial recognition software, like deep dive on that stuff. Right. It's really fascinating. Like you can tell people, like, don't do that, and they're like, yeah, but it's fun. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> All right, moron. Like, and here's the, here's the thing: is like you kind of have to just go, okay, like because by the time they've hacked, like one person's phone or, you know, 10,000 people's phones, it doesn't really matter. You're in the minority, so they've already got the power. Do you, mm -hmm. do you see what I mean? Like, at that point, you you may as well just give up and just go, oh, well, I'm just going along for the ride, you know? Otherwise, you end sure. up being 70 going, I, I don't know what an iPhone is. I don't, like, you know, I'm wearing this, you know, tinfoil hat and stuff like that, and they're trying to steal my brainwaves. And you right. just... There's a there's a balance of it. It's like be safe, be careful. Don't you know? Type your password into stuff. Try not to click stupid links in your emails. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like have some form of entertainment as well. Like it, it's a really difficult balance on that side of stuff. You know? Yeah, um, I, I think something that's helped me out there, John, too, though, is that I I feel like I've grown in my perspective on what it is that they whoever they are are really try, you know wanting my information what's what's the reason behind that and i believe that it's almost always driven by consumerism if not always it's all about someone making money it's not this necessarily nefarious plot to just hijack my my brain waves and put me in a matrix battery so that they can suck the energy out of me like a, a duracell <laughs> you know it, it's so they can sell me stuff and so at the end of the day, if I still have my wits about me, if I'm still watching what I'm doing and being careful, 
as long as I don't click on those nefarious links in email or or travel down some stupid rabbit hole that gives my password out, if I'm still paying attention, I still have the choice at the end of the day whether to buy what they're putting in front of my face, no mm-hmm. matter how much or how slyly they market it to me, right? Yeah. It's still my choice at the end of the day. And so that helps me to kind of ease some of the conspiracy type of concerns that have generated in my mind by watching you know what's going on especially in the the privacy realm of you know having a cell phone and being on the the internet and being a human being nowadays sure. you know privacy just isn't what it used to be yeah and the consumerism argument as well it's like we gave that up when we could put billboards everywhere you know and put TVs in our homes and people could literally just like subliminally sell you stuff you know and then you just kind of have to, you know, abide by it. And we do that whether you're on Instagram, if you're driving down the street, if you're watching, you know, a TV in the hair salon just before you get your hair done. Like, we're all part of that machine, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that the other side of it is, for me, it goes back to the political side of stuff. Like, someone knowing everything about me so that then they can think that they know which way I'm going to vote or what I want to see to make me vote a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives me a little bit of like fear, but at the same time, like there are certain things I'm just never going to abide by, you know, like there, there'll be a hard stop when someone's like, we should do this. Like, you know, it would be like, you know, a drastic thing would be like, unless you're white and over six foot, like we're kicking everyone out of America. Would you vote for this? I'd be like, no, I definitely wouldn't. Like, it doesn't matter how much stuff you, you know, kind of kind of plug onto the side of that or which way you dress it up i'm still going to be like no that doesn't that's not how i i view life so but then at the same time i think i'm kind of a free thinker i think you guys are as well so i think that we're very cognizant of like what we're um doing the choices we're making and stuff like that and what Mm -hmm. what scares me is there i i believe there is probably a large section of society that don't want to think and it's not that they can't think it's this they don't want to they're just like, just tell me what to do. Tell me sure. what I should think, you know. And to the to the point, actually, I mean, even that, when it got really deep into some of the political stuff with, um, like, Trump when he was on trial, like, late last year, earlier this year, whenever that was, feels like 10 decades ago. But um, there was a point where something happened, and I was just like, wait, what should I be thinking? Am I, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because I, I was so, I was so unaware of the kind of repercussions of it, what was actually in the constitution, what had he done something wrong legally, but well, like what did I feel? And so then I was like, well, wait a minute, I have my own feelings about this, but does that mean that he's guilty in what they're saying he's done? Is this, you know, is this just a big ruse? Like, blah, blah. So finally I just had to ask people, I'm like, like, th- does this align with what I'm supposed to be thinking? And that was when I realized like, that was the first time that I told someone like, hey, tell me what I should feel. <laughs> because I was confused by it, right? So think about people that don't want to think, like actively don't want to think, and they're just like, I'm just going to do what my what my wife wants me to do. I'm going to do what my church say I should do. I like, and there are there are people out there that just go, I just if I if I surround myself with people and they tell me all the right things to do, then I will live a good life. Yeah, and that's I think what makes me a little bit more worried about data collection and things like that. So I've just. Yeah. There are people that are far more easily swayed in that side of stuff. Mm. So that's a great point. It's a great point because at the end of the day, I am sure that there are more in that 
cheap category, not to disparage anyone. If you, if you make the act of choice, not to want to make your own decisions or, or be a free thinker, it's up to you, whatever. But um, I think there, there are a lot less free thinkers. And I think it will always be that way has always been that way. And so therefore, whatever the masses kind of gravitate toward is so do we all, you know, either that, or we are, you know, we stay in this severe minority and, and things just don't tend to go in that direction. Um, uh, another another thing I wanted to touch on today, though, is the the vaccine. You know, they say we're and this might have been a month ago that they've said it now, but we're at least eighteen months out from a, from a COVID vaccine. And uh, you you kind of mentioned earlier about the the ones looking for the cure. You know, you wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now. But uh, there are some pretty big names, including Bill Gates, who are working on this vaccine. They 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 want to be the one to find the cure. What kind of uh, what kind of underlying if, if anything, what kind of undercurrent do you think is coming through with this vaccine? What can we expect? Is it going to be like with the bill you were talking about earlier? We call it pork. They add pork to a bill, which is all the other stuff that shouldn't even be in there. It has nothing to do with the main topic, but they get it through because if you want this done, this major important thing, you've got to let us have all these other 96 things that we've got at the bottom here. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if there's any more pork that's going to come with a vaccine, so to speak. Well, I think that it will be a global approach to it because it's something that this isn't an American side of stuff. I mean, there was, I heard about a a pharma company in Germany, I think, and Mm -hmm. they had come up with something and Trump had spoken to them and said, we're going to buy the company as the US government. And the CEO said, yeah, absolutely. Like, great, let's make a great deal on this. And then the board heard about it and the German government heard about it, removed the CEO and put another one in and just said, absolutely not. And the yeah. reason was, was not they didn't dislike Trump or anything like that, but they were like, this is for the world. This isn't for America. And I think that's going to be the big side of it, is when a vaccine comes out, it's going to be a global effort um, on that to ensure that people are, you know, this doesn't then flare up somewhere else and then it, because... You know, I don't work in the medical field, but I have a basic knowledge of this stuff. But these things develop and transform and get worse. And, you know, that's why the flu is still here. You know, you can't just kill it out. Mm -hmm. So it will be a thing of sharing, like a a kind of um, just something without borders. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Like everyone's going to get it. It's going to go out. But again, then it goes back to big pharma. Like who's paying for that? (laughs) You know? Like, should Mm -hmm. the people with the most amount of people in their country be paying for it? Because that's, you know, supply and demand side of stuff. Like, the research. What about the people that work tirelessly day and night to get, you know, to figure out what it was? Like, again, I think that there's that that side of stuff where it's... I don't think that the governments, individual governments, will push anything too much on it. But I think that it's a really interesting thing of maybe maybe like between governments it'll be an interesting thing of like if whichever country comes up with it and has jurisdiction over the company that made it yeah may get a big bargaining chip with the rest of the world you know mm. of just being could like, be, well, could be a, a global power grab right for every yeah. country you know uh wins the race so to speak well it's, yeah it'll be the new oil basically won't it it'll just be like well we've got it right. and we're not going to share this with anyone or it'll be a thing, a similar thing to like when they invented the internet and they'll say, no one should own this. This is a, a global thing. Here's the formula. Here's how to make it. 
goes to every single pharma company and be like, get this out. Like, get this out to as many people as we can. This is not a, you know, a financial gainer. And that's, I think, why Bill Gates probably wants to be involved in it, is to ensure that when it does come to market, it's not a money thing. Um, I think Bill Gates has enough money to last, last seven lifetimes. So I don't think that he needs to worry too much about that side of stuff. And if you look at his foundation as well of what he's been doing for clean water in Africa and, and things like this, like I, I believe he's, his heart's in the right place like on that sort of stuff. So um, That's good because some of the conspiracies that I'm hearing is about tracking devices and things like that. I don't know if you've seen any of these, but they're talking about the vaccine having a tracking device to show that whether or not you've had the vaccine or not so they can prove that you've had it. And uh, without that, right, without that track, it, it goes you, down this. Go ahead, Cole. How, how do you put a tracking device in a vaccine? Well, they can implant tracking devices in you and it goes along with a vaccine to show that you've had it. And you're right, John, uh, Bill Gates definitely doesn't need any more money. Yeah. But what is someone who has all the money in the world? What do they want after that? They want the power, right? And so this is where I'm not saying I believe this, but it is an interesting rabbit hole to go down. And John, I appreciate your voice of reason on these things too, not just because it's it's reasonable, but also because you have a a more global uh, perspective on it because you do originate from the UK. And I guess you're you're are you a dual citizen here? Yeah, I mean I've got a green card for America, so I haven't I haven't jumped into the passport side of stuff, which terrified me as well on this uh, kind of the cash out side of stuff from the government because i was like wait a minute i'm not a citizen of the uk anymore because i live here permanently so i can't get any funding from the uk and i'm not a full citizen of the us so i don't oh, wow. know so i was like oh no i might have screwed myself <laughs> i'm st- now, stuck somewhere in the middle <laughs> I'm, yeah I'm, I'm now kind of hoping that it's going to kind of the the backflow of it it's going to work out the other way where it's like i do get something from the uk and from here and just double down on it it'd be like yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well as you could probably tell and not by not on purpose i just i'm not a global you know type of citizen i've i've been here you know, I, I think I've left the country maybe once, maybe maybe twice, but um, I, I'm very American centric, and and not once again, not by uh, American exceptionalism necessarily, just because I don't have that kind of exposure. I don't, you know, I don't have an intimate knowledge of the politics that goes on everywhere. I get what I get from you know world news. I try to watch. Uh, uh, what is it? Is it NPR news on, on channel nine, whatever PBS. Um, at any rate, I try, I try to get my fill so that I can keep up, but I don't have that, that working perspective of it. And I, I can appreciate that you do have more of a, you know, a little bit of a globe trotter perspective on things. Well, it's, I mean, the thing is, is that it would be like, if, if you move to anywhere, Australia, New Zealand, now people mm-hmm. will ask you, well, what's going on in America? And because you, you've got your friendship base, so people will talk to you about that sort of stuff. They'll discuss things with you of like, how's this working and that working and blah, blah, blah. So you'll always have that. And your initial thing is like, how, how do people deal with stuff in your home country? And then you start to understand the politics and the reasoning behind stuff. But I mean, I've been in the States now for six years, and I'm only just starting to understand the, the political hierarchy of everything and, and how... The state, the Senate, the so it's not the state, the Senate, sorry, the House and the Senate, how they work and how they kind of work for and against each other and stuff like that, and what the checks sure. and balances are. So there's mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not and my thing is as well, I've I've always argued this with with people that are like, well, Americans don't travel. I'm like, yeah, but why would you? Like <laughs> America's got 
some of the best mountains, the best beaches, the best deserts, the best cities in the world. Like, it would take you nearly a lifetime to go and experience the whole of America. So unless you're culture hungry and you want to go and see how, you know, Chinese culture is or how Australian culture is or German or, you know, or you really want to go and see like historical, you know, cathedrals or something like that. Like there's no need to, to leave this country. If you just want natural beauty, you've got that all in America. So there's no need to move around. Um, mm. But I would also argue that the world is very small and very easy to get around. So, you know, you want to jump on a... I think there's there's a big fear, not fear, that's the wrong term, but like there is a misconception from Americans that it's very expensive to travel anywhere else in the world. And it is, it really isn't. You know, nowadays with modern travel, like you can get around, you book far enough in advance. It's It costs a little bit more from St. Louis to London than it does to get from St. Louis to LA is basically mm. my viewpoint. So wow. Now, London is also insanely expensive when you get there, so that, that screws you. But then so is LA and New York, so I don't know. You know, it, it feels like it because it's a different currency, but, you know, I think traveling... For me, I travel mainly between the US and the UK, but that's purely for work. So, um, But yeah. I, I still want to get out there. I want to go and kind of... There are things that I see and I'm like, oh, I really want to go to, um, I don't know, Africa and things like that. And then I also think... It would also be moderately terrifying. You know, like Morocco is, has somewhere, like for me, I'm like, I'd love to go there. But I also just think I'm a six foot five pale ginger person. Like yes. there, is a, there is a sniper scope on my forehead when I arrive yep. in those countries. So I'm terrified, I'm terrified to travel just, just about anywhere um, in those particular, I, I just feel like you, I feel like I, I would be a target. You know, and maybe maybe that's not exactly true. Maybe it's just a more of an irrational fear based off of the media and and things like that that I've seen. But I, I don't really want. I used to. I used to want to go to Asia and things like that as a, as a kid. I really liked Asian culture. I love the the martial arts culture and things like that. Always have. But it's you know nowadays I'm like man, w- would it really be worth it? You know to to feel like I'm always in danger. I well, don't know. Also, I think it also changes a lot when you're married and i think when you have kids true because when yeah. you're when you're young and single and you just kind of go oh well if i get shot in the face then so be it do you know what i mean you can kind of go i mean obviously no one wants to die but what i'm what i mean by that is you don't have anyone else that is tremendously like dependent on you or you know you, you build all that stuff and you don't want to lose that you yeah, know. your risk aversion goes way up once you start hitting those milestones. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think that I think to your point about like, is it the media and stuff like that? I honestly believe it's the movie industry. Movies and TV shows are the yeah. things that make us all terrified about all this place, all these places. Because <clears throat> I remember thinking before when I first moved to America, I moved to New York. And I was like, I have to live in Manhattan. I can't. I couldn't live in Brooklyn or the Bronx, or like I will get shot immediately. And I ended mm-hmm. up living in Manhattan and working in Brooklyn. And one hundred percent, I would live in Brooklyn. Like it's so beautiful and nowhere mm-hmm. near as terrifying as I thought it was. Um, but all of that came from TV shows and movies, and like this is where you're going to go to die, basically. Like, but <laughs> if you live in New York, you can drink you know, mojitos every day and be like, you know, super successful. Like 
the perception that's thrown on us of like how you live life if you lived somewhere or if you visit somewhere and stuff like that, it's mm. so, so different, you know? And I love going to new places and going completely like eyes wide open, just like I'm going to experience this for try and leave any preconception behind and anything like that. And sometimes it's terrifying. I mean, I went to Cartagena uh, down in Colombia last year and it was one of those things that I got in a cab and I was like, I have no idea what the rate of exchange is. I don't know if this guy's going to drive seven times around the city before we get somewhere. So whatever he asks me, I'm just going to pay him. And we drove there <laughs> and like, we got there and he gave me a number. I can't even remember what it was, like 125. It was like, cool, there you go. Blah, blah. And I got out, got into the hotel and the guy was like, so uh, how much was your cab from the airport? And I was like, 125. He was like, what? I was like, oh, is that a lot? And he was like, yeah, like 10 times as much as you should do. And I was like, well, how much is that in dollars? And he went, $6. And I was like, oh, I, I really don't care. <laughs> but it is this feeling of like, I've been taken advantage of versus like the actual fear of stuff. And when you live in a society where like $6 for a cab and people are like, oh, some guy's absolutely scammed you. You're like, I, it's, it's inconsequential to my like end goal of what's going on here, you know? Yeah, there, there's a lot of places inside the U.S. and outside that I would love to go to. But as far as me going on my own and just exploring by myself, there's no possible way. Like if I'm going to go anywhere, I need somebody with me who knows everything. And I'm just going to get there and I'd be like, you tell me what to do and you tell me where to go. And let's do that. <laughs> I think, Yeah, and I think definitely when you find this side of stuff, when you start seeing that is as you do it more and more, you then become a little bit more resilient to the fact that people are just humans. And the scary side is they're not speaking the same language as you. Like, there's this thing when I went to Hong Kong, I went to Hong Kong for a wedding, and um, there's this thing called the Hong Kong Whisper. And the Hong Kong Whisper is someone screaming in your face. But there is no volume control or anything on the people in Hong Kong. So what happens is, is like someone will bump into you in the street and you don't know if they're saying, I'm really sorry. I, I just bumped into you or I'm going to murder you and your entire family because uh, then you're, you're not speaking the same language and they're just screaming at you and you just go, oh, okay, right. That's fine. Like, so it's this bizarre thing where, <laughs> and also in Hong Kong, I think it's Chinese culture, but there is, um, a whole thing where you don't, uh, you're never, uh, is it not subservient, but you never let other people take advantage of you, right? So you're never in the wrong. And, and the, the best example of this is like merging in uh, like on any sort of freeway because no one will let someone go in front of them because then you're saying, well, you're better than I am. So there's this whole side of stuff. So these chronic traffic jams happen <laughs> because people, can't, people won't allow anyone else to merge to the point that it's almost causing a crash. And then people are like, okay, fine, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> So it's just because it, it's like stupid pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Everyone's like super prideful. But I, but this is the thing: is like for the first two or three days you're there, you're like, this is so bizarre, and you get like culture shock where you're just like, I just all I want, and like realistically, one of the best things that I found helps. And this sounds so stupid, is if I ever get culture shock, which is this kind of like it's like being homesick, but you know, for your own culture. I honestly just find a McDonald's. McDonald's is globally, it's exactly the same no matter where you are. You know, one or two item, change, item changes or something like that. But like, there is this thing of like going in and being like, I have a Big Mac and fries. Okay, cool. I can just re-zen myself, just zero <laughs> in a little bit. 
Yeah. I did that in, in Mexico when we first got there. I was in Cancun for a bit. And uh, the first thing I did was order a pizza uh-huh. from, I forget which chain. It was, it was an American chain. But even they didn't speak English and I was lost. Fortunately, the, the person at the motel did, you know, he helped me out. But I was just, I had just gotten there. It was culture shock. Hadn't been out of the country before. And I just wanted food, man. I was starving. And I just, I, I wasn't in the place of mind uh, to figure things out at that point in time. So I got a pizza and, and the world just coalesced and everything was better after that. Had a great time. <laughs> but but if, if it wasn't for that pizza, I don't know if I'd have made it, man. I might have just hopped right back on the plane and came right back home. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's comfortability, right? It's just something that you yeah. add at home and you can, you know, yeah, eat just, it and I be comfortable. It's, it's relatable. Yeah. It is always yeah. that thing where you feel like, oh, this feels relatable. This, I'm not that far away from home and things like that. And I think that that's a big side of stuff as well. I think I have, personally, I have this view of when I'm traveling around or anything like that. Like, I, I didn't see like my parents for months on end. But I always have this belief that, especially nowadays with, you know, these spy devices we've got, is that I can pick up the phone anywhere in the world and call them. I can FaceTime them. I can see their face. They can, you know, show me what's wrong with the oven and how do I fix it. You know, that sort of stuff. Like, there is a normality to it now where it's like we can discuss and we can see each other and... I can give you a virtual tour of my apartment if you haven't been to. Do you know what I mean? So then, all of a sudden, we you start to get this feeling of like, I know where you are, I know what it looks like. And my mum always says that it's like she wants to come and visit, so she knows what my life's like. So when I'm referring to stuff, she has a point of reference. Um, so there's there's that side of it as well, and there's the like the comfortable side of stuff. And I think also with what's going on with technology, I think it's going to become so much easier where you can talk into a phone and it'll automatically translate and then someone else will talk back and it'll automatically translate back and you can have a almost immediate conversation with people. Um, I think that's going to be a huge, a huge development and break down a lot of walls for stuff because that's my view is honestly, like, I don't speak any languages. Um, mm-hmm. And the thought of going to a non-English speaking place is terrifying because i can't help myself you know um, i think that's my big, that's, that's the that's the biggest part of my fear is not knowing what the other guy is saying yeah or the other gal is saying it could because it's always in my mind i tend to to go to the paranoid side of things first it's always going to i'm always going to have that fear that they're they're plotting against me or something's wrong and i have no idea what's going on yeah yeah no, absolutely. I, my brother had an amazing story when he was in Central America. He was touring around, and uh, some tour guy was like, "Oh, I'm going to give you a discount tour and do this sort of stuff, like come in my car and stuff." So my brother was like, "Yeah, sure." Like him and his friend went there, and they went through this village that they weren't supposed to be in, apparently, or like was you know they were supposed to have paid a toll. The tour guy was supposed to pay a toll, something like that. And the car got surrounded and everyone's like banging on the windows and stuff. And my brother's friend just thought they were like celebrating and like happy to see white people or something. And my brother could speak perfect Spanish and they were like, oh no, they want to murder us. <laughs> he was like, stop. Like, and his friend was like blowing like against the window. Like, like <laughs> and my brother was like, stop doing that. <laughs> But like just being in this like moment of like absolute terror and the other person having absolutely no idea. But in some ways, 
I don't know. In some ways, I'd rather not know what's about to come. I'd rather just be like, oh, wait, that guy's got it. Oh, I'm dead. Right, fine. <laughs> rather than sitting there for three days going, oh, no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So I think that, yeah, I think there's definitely a fear to travel. And I'm definitely not fearless, like 100%. Like, it's definitely something that plays on my mind. And any English-speaking thing, I'm never worried about because you can get away with stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. And to be honest, most European countries I'm kind of fine with, I think, because I think that you can find a common ground of some form of language or at least everything has that Latin base root so you can kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. Whereas when you get into Asia and all that sort of stuff, it's so different that it's, you know... It's a, a quantum shift in what you're kind of seeing and hearing and and culture and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, and I'd have to assume that anytime you're on a resort type of place, like like I mentioned Cancun, that it's not like I was out in the jungle or up on the mountains and away from you know where there's at least enough of a an English based because it's it's consumerism down there too. It's about going down there and spending your your dollars, your American dollars for, for me, um, in their place so they can all make money. And that, of course that makes sense. And it's a beautiful place. I love it there. Uh, but it's very much touristy, I guess you could say it's very much, you know, meant to go down there. And so they're going to have enough of an English speaking base to make sure that you're going to have a good time, hopefully come back, but at least spend the money that you've got while you're there going off the reservation a little bit. I don't know that I could do that. I think I'd be too terrified at this point in time until I get that phone translator, at least. Maybe if I get that. <laughs> but uh, even that I'll, is like, I remember someone saying about, is it Puerto Rico? I can't remember where they were, but they were saying that. And it was like everywhere from the airport was safe and the resort was safe. Everywhere else was like super dangerous. And you get in a car and you go to the resort and they shut the gates and you go in there and it's paradise. But if you go out of that, it is like, really really poor really dangerous i know that definitely happens in like jamaica and stuff like that yeah, as well like, i was gonna say jamaica i've heard that yeah and it's just you know it it's a it's a shame because at that point it's like the rich parts of the island get richer and the poor get poorer and that sort of stuff and there's you know and there are these points where you look at stuff and you go i'd love to go on like an island adventure and go and look around stuff but it's like there's a high probability you're gonna die or get very hurt yes know? Um, from that so because yeah. their belief is you've got tons of money like in your pockets that you're carrying around and it's like it's hilarious like I mean even in St. Louis I'm driving around I see kind of panhandlers and it's like I don't carry money ever like it's just everything is debit or Venmo or whatever and I'm just like yeah I don't, I don't need cash like cash is an annoyance to me so when people are like hey have you got any money I'm like no I, I don't and it's in some ways it's like I can literally give you my wallet like but I don't have any cash on me you know right yeah. so it's just yeah. it's a it's a strange it's definitely a strange one like you know doing that side of stuff and being in places where you're just like if i if i had cash on me i give it to you you know but i don't and there's no way sure. of me getting it so yeah uh, i you talking about not having cash on you i this is random but i i think about how gutsy the people are that have like carry their credit cards and everything on their phone uh-huh i would never do that Oh really? I do it all the time. Like really? Yeah, yeah. Well, as it, wait, what, what, what do you mean? Like, like the touch ID thing? No, like, like if you have a case on your phone that also oh. holds credit cards and stuff, no, no, no. you lose your phone, no. you've lost everything. That's, 
So that's my phone, and then I carry my wallet completely separately. Right, yeah, yeah. That, I'm I, the same uh, way. I would never. Oh, I thought you meant like the the like the face activated stuff on your phone. Oh, you know, no. you, and I was like, yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all, unless someone's going to chop my thumb off with my phone. <laughs> you know? um, but that's honestly that's got me out of some troubles before, like the like having all of my cards on my phone. Like I'm getting to the point now where it's like, yeah, like if you don't have you know, Apple Pay or anything through like that, I can use my phone or like any NFC stuff, I probably won't come to your business anymore. Like the fact that like doing all that stuff and like anything that's cash only, I just don't go to anymore. And I think that's going to happen more and more. I think the the cash run style of stuff is going to start shutting down because it's super annoying to get cash out, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I don't really know. I don't know what the reason is behind that, apart from tax evasion. I can't see why you would only be cash only, you know, as a bar. I mean, I, I think it's kind of weird that money is still floating around now uh, with the COVID nineteen stuff going on. Just because of it, you think about how dirty money is beforehand. That's really true. I hadn't thought about that actually. It was funny. Mm-hmm. I was I was having a conversation with my mom this morning just before I got on this, and she was saying. I mean, everyone should be going through and figuring out what clothes they don't want and then selling it and bagging it and and shipping it off to other people because no charity stores are open. And I was like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like that's how you're going to send it around. She went, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it like that. And I'm like, of course, because that's going back to that, like, what is the new normal? The new normal is like making really certain that everything that you're doing is like ultra clean and stuff like that. And, you know, I share an office with Chris Denman from We Are Live, and he Lysol's everything like seven times a day. I'm like, no one has come in or out of this office since you last Lysol. Like, there are no bugs in here anymore. Like, you know, it's like we need one of those like CO2 cannons that you walk in and just like, it's like, okay, right, we're good. We're clean now. <laughs> need like a, a bug bomb every time he leaves the room. Yeah, exactly. But it is, but that I think comes back to the fear side of stuff. Like, what if there's something somewhere on what have I touched today? Like this light switch I haven't touched for three weeks. What if there's something on there or stuff like that? So I think there is a fear side to it that is going to be with us for a long, long time. You know, I don't well, think, I think, people... I think... Go on. I was going to say, I think the biggest fear comes from, you know, th- this virus can be in your system for like up to two weeks before you even see system or see symptoms. Yeah. And, you know, that that's what I've been preaching here lately is that a lot of people who are saying businesses, like all businesses need to shut down for a couple of days at least and just sanitize and clean everything. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that when they when they open back up, there could still be people there who have the virus that they don't even know yet. And they could just reinfect the entire place. And now that company's just lost those couple of days of production because they shut down. But I also think that in some ways what they needed to do was this half, and they did this in the UK as well. So I'm, I'm going to stop saying they did this in the UK. Pretty much when I'm talking about stuff, it's in equal parts US and UK. I don't want to feel that this is an attack on the US. But <laughs> I think that like this kind of half-hearted way of kind of shutting down stuff of like we we suggest you stay at home okay definitely stay at home and that was in the cities to start with and now they're like oh now statewide and it happened in missouri then it was statewide like stay at home my thing is is like you've actually just you've you've wasted time and actually if you'd shut down done a hard shutdown for 14 days you know or you know even 20 days and done a hard shutdown like no one can go out it would stop it immediately you know, and then 
and then you build something in where it's like, okay, groceries and stuff like that, we're going to make sure that people deliver groceries in hazmat suits and all this other stuff. But the thing is, is that with that, if you shut everything down immediately and don't allow that, it would, it would, it would reduce it immediately. Now, the flip side of it is the economic downturn is horrific. I mean, really horrific. Because mm-hmm. there are certain companies that absolutely rely on turnover, right? So like, and even people that rely on like, just just turnover to just bring hard money in, you can't just, not everyone can do gift cards and not everyone can survive on gift cards. You can't get a gift card to schnooks. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, gonna get a gift card and then I'll get my food in a couple of weeks. It's like, you couldn't have supplied the entire city of St. Louis overnight, you know, to shut it all down. And then the point being of doing that like 14 day to 20 day shutdown would be, Anyone that's got it and isn't seeing anyone else would get it, get the symptoms, go to hospital, and then we come out of it the other way. <clears throat> the problem is, you open everything up again, everyone starts moving between states, and it happens all over again. And I think that's going to be the big like roller coaster ebb and flow of this is we're going to see a drop on everything, and then we're not going to have cured it, and then it's going to come back again. Not any worse. I don't think it's like, oh, it's going to come back with a vengeance. It's like, no, we'll just see an increase again until... Because have they figured out, um, James, if once you've got it and you've survived it, do you... Like, are you then immune to it? Is it... Or is it something that you could get again three weeks later? Do they know that yet? Yeah. They're, They're thinking, as far as I know, they don't of course no i guess for sure but the given i think scientific reasoning is that once you get it and you recover from it because they can't detect the antibodies in your system knowing that you've had it so some of the testing they're talking about doing is of course to see if you're COVID positive but also to see if you have those antibodies to see if you did have it and have already recovered because some people's symptoms are just so uh, either benign or just so you know insignificant mm-hmm. so small that that they didn't really, they didn't need a respirator for sure. And they had a runny nose and a sore throat and their, their body just fired off, you know, very well. So, um, so they think that those, because of the presence of those antibodies and the reaction of the body they're in, that, that once you get it, you at least have a time frame. I've heard anywhere from, you know, to, uh, one to three years that you're not going to have to worry about COVID again. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's, yeah, I have no scientific studies to back that up in front of me. That's just what I've what I've heard from. I believe even Dr. Fauci okay. might have even mentioned that at some point in time. So because that's right. been a big question, everybody's yeah. been asking that. It's like once you get it, do you still have the threat to get it again, like two weeks later or something like that? And they they think not. Yeah, and usually with most diseases, that's kind of the case as far as I'm aware. You know, yeah. once you've had it once and you've recovered from it, then getting it again is less likely in any form right. of virus or whatever because the body's fought it off. So, mm-hmm. right. But yeah, I think that's that's a that's the the most fascinating point on all of this is like the the unknown, and then us looking at professionals and saying, "Well, wait, isn't this your job? Shouldn't you know this?" It's like, right. yeah, it's a little bit more technical. <laughs> <laughs> I need answers now. I want yeah. answers now. Yeah, do, do better now. Yes. I'm tired of being locked down. I want stuff to go back to normal again. But, John, I don't want to let you go today without uh, mentioning you had some kind of event. You mentioned wrestling. 
yeah. and you, you even went so far as to mention that you don't know much about wrestling and so but you have this event coming up and so that that really piques my interest man tell me about what's going on so we um <clears throat> i got involved in this event called wrestling at the grand L, um and with having zero knowledge of wwe wrestling side of stuff and not really being into any of the martial arts like mma any of that side of stuff um I was I was far more interested in the production side of stuff. That's what my background is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I uh, started talking to Joey, um, who was already running it, and kind of got on board and started talking about production and stuff like that. And it was the moment that I turned around to him and just said, well, isn't wrestling just kind of theater in, you know, a violent version of theater? And he was like, it's exactly what it is. And I was like... Well, I can do theater. That's easy. And so we started to like really develop out kind of how we were going to do this because I'd been to one wrestling event in St. Louis. I'd gone down to South Broadway uh, Athletic Club. Um, and I don't know if either of you guys have been to that, but it is it is the most entry-level wrestling event of all time. It's $2 bushes, a dollar for popcorn, and it is nuts. I mean, it's just... It is utterly hilarious i mean there are people that take it deadly seriously and follow these stories and all this other stuff it is well worth the i think it was five dollars or some weird amount like seven dollars 25 to get in um (laughs) obviously it's not on at the moment but when it comes back definitely worthwhile going to see but my thought Mm -hmm. was i was like with not much like if you go and see that which is the most entry-level version of wrestling i think i've ever seen and WWE being the top end of everything of production and stuff like that. I was like, there's got to be a, a half-decent halfway house between these two that would be good enough production value and, and all this sort of stuff. So we developed this thing at uh, the Grandel Theatre in Midtown, um, right by the Fox Theatre, if you know St. Louis. Um, but it's this old church that was then turned into a TV station and now is a, a 500-person theatre. Um, and yeah, we went into partnership with them to basically develop this one night of wrestling, um, that has this kind of very art deco feel to everything. Um, but yeah, so it's not being involved in wrestling. It's utterly hilarious being involved in production meetings and like, you know, it's like, Oh, big Steve's going to come in he's going to do this and that. And I'm just like, I, what is going on? I mean, it's, I think it would be a little bit like going and doing, a production of say Macbeth or something like that and never having read the play. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> everyone knows everyone else in the room has read this play a hundred times and you're going, wait, who does, he does what? He, he kills them. <laughs> okay. And then he sees go, right. What is happening? Like this sort of side of stuff where I'm like, so it's got to the point where I've just said to Joey, like you deal with all the wrestling side of stuff. I'll deal with all the production side and making and the branding and all that sort of stuff. So it's been really, really good fun kind of, seeing that side of it and seeing the excitement behind a brand new event and in a kind of niche market. Well, I guess wrestling isn't really that niche, but in a market that fans are just crazy excited about something new and about good quality stuff and things like that. So, but like, I mean, just to give you kind of an example, like we started off with, I think 20 people on the Instagram account and in I think two and a half weeks were at like 1,300 people on there. Wow. With like every post getting like 100, 120 likes and comments and all this sort of stuff. So it's, it's finding, <clears throat> it's finding that like 
market and seeing that side of stuff go. And I'm very, very kind of like uh, hard on the branding and the looking of everything and just being like, let's not, like we've got the time and the ability to make this look amazing. So let's spend our time doing that with good photographers, good graphic packages and all this stuff and developing that to then give everyone a taste because we haven't done a show yet, but we know what we want it to look like by the end of it. So hmm. it's definitely... If you don't mind, uh, if you, if you don't mind me asking, are you paying to push those ads and stuff or no? Like, <clears throat> like how, how are you getting into so many people's feeds? That is just from... So we are linked... So when you do any wrestling event and Joey's going to kill me because I really don't understand this side of it, but <laughs> you need like a, a sports license to do it. So we're, we partnered with glory pro wrestling who are okay. um, a wrestling company, an indie wrestling company in the area. Um, very well respected. They've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, and we um, are using them for their athletic license and their partners with us on this. <clears throat> and then, um, we <clears throat> we share stuff through them, but <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> we share stuff through them to make sure that they um, like their branding is all on it, and also like it's not like oh we're just going to use their channels. Like they are a partner of the event, um, and then everything else has honestly been the way that Joey's been doing the Instagram and getting more and more followers is by going out and finding the right people and following. So like when one of the wrestlers that we've got on our um, card, uh, like post something, he'll go in and see everyone that's liked it and make sure that we're following all of those people. So I like follow to following ratio. Like we're following something like three and a half thousand to 4,000 people gotcha. with 1,200 following us. Um, but with that is we're not buying followers. Um, but everything honestly, like is the content side of stuff. Like we started off with a phenomenal, um, concept video that we put out there that we, we actually built the ring in the grand L theater and brought wrestlers in and, and brought in a film crew to like make it the way that we wanted it to look and stuff like that. So we started with that side of stuff. Um, built a, a half decent website on Squarespace. Um, and that was when I really realized actually like content is like, is the key to all of this stuff. Like having good mm. photographs and stuff like that. I built the website because we started on WordPress and then I built the website on Squarespace in 45 minutes in a panic to that we had to build it by the next day because it was like something went wrong with WordPress. So I shut all that down, moved it over to Squarespace but having amazing photos and being able to just drop this, 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 this here and then like produce it. Like I was like, oh, having good, good quality media is the best thing that you can do. And then from that, mm -hmm. we took uh, the best photos that we've, we've got in all of that, did kind of like a teaser drip feed promo for like this is coming. And then we have photos of every single wrestler that's there, you know, like that are linked to our branding. Um, but Joey's also just, he's so passionate about wrestling and he can talk about it for days and days and days. Like, I mean, we had stag beer on board before we'd even, uh, before we'd even launched, you know, they were on nice. as, as a top end sponsor. Um, but yeah, you go to Joey's house and he's got like signed WWE chairs from when he's been to these things and he used to work for the WWE. So it's just, uh, 
it's a it's a really interesting partnership, especially working on something where you've got a skill set and like we were saying earlier, you kind of pivot and do all this stuff. Joey came to me because he needed five t-shirts printed for for the event. And we just got to, got to talking. And he was like, oh, maybe we should like bring you on to do this, this, and this. And yeah, Joey was definitely doing an indie show with a like in his head on a budget of WWE. And he was like, we need 17 cameramen and this, that, and the other. And I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, we definitely don't need that stuff right now. And, <laughs> but the thing is, what, what I think I found inspiring with Joey was the fact that he's got this view of where he wants this to go. He has the five-year plan in his head of like, where are we going this? How are we going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. And it's great working with someone that has that knowledge of what they want to see on stage because then we can, you know, then we can go, all right, you want to get to 100, let's start at 30. And then the next one we'll do, we'll go at 50 and stuff like that and we'll build our fan base. Um, but yeah, it's... But of course, the week that we started getting sponsorships and really doing a sponsorship drive was the week COVID came in. So we were like, cool. Right, everyone's <laughs> moving around. So my plan is to go after like Lysol and, and you know, the to- toilet paper companies and stuff like that. So nice. So nice. Sounds like a fun project, man. And, and because of your skill set, you were able to jump into a. A, a sport that you really had no prior knowledge in it sounds like and just goes to show man that when you can polish that that thing that you do whatever that is for people in general that opportunity always kind of presents itself to the the, the prepared you know in some form or another so that, that sounds fantastic man it sounds like a lot of fun i'm not a wrestling fan personally but it's from your perspective what you're talking about that's that's i could get into that that's from from that side of things sounds uh Sounds it, interesting. It definitely is one of those things that like, I've obviously seen wrestling on TV and stuff like that, but it wasn't until we did the film shoot with a full wrestling ring and watching people throw themselves like 12 to 14 foot in the air, land yeah. on the mat, and watching also how that thing's built is it's just steel and wood. Like I was uh-huh. like, oh, there's pads, and like, oh, it's super comfy, like blah, blah, blah. And I said to... Um, KLD, one of the like top wrestlers that are there that works. I think he owns Glory Pro. He's one of the owners. And I asked him, I was like, does it hurt? And he was like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, not <laughs> as much as we make it look like it hurts, but yeah, it, you right. get beaten up pretty bad out there. And I was like, I was like that is insane. But they, they, they absolutely love it. It's the, you know, it's the same as, I guess, like motocross bike guys and stuff like that. Like, you can really hurt yourself doing it, but it's for the thrill and the buzz and the community and stuff like that. Like, these guys, like, live and breathe this stuff. And it's it's really cool to be around stuff that people are that passionate about, you know? Mm, there's very, I think sure. there's very few communities that are, like, you know, absolute live, live, breathe, and die this stuff. And just the no matter what, like, that's what they're going to talk about. That's what they're going to get together. And, and honestly, I've gone to like WWE, like SmackDown parties now. And I'm like, there's 12 growing men screaming at a TV with like, and this is all fake. I mean, this is all planned and stuff like that. It's like, mm-hmm. it, but it is, it's the suspension of disbelief because then I could argue to myself, like, why do I get so fired up about James Bond movies? It's like, right. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, so it was, it was this moment of being like, Going from, in the space of maybe six months, going from the, like, ah, wrestling, like, blah, 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 like, whatever, like, it's kind of stupid, and having friends that liked it, to 
understanding that there was a huge market here to then kind of really going like, okay, I'm never going to learn everything about this market. There's, there's no point. Like, I don't need to. But then from that pivoting to respecting it, like really respecting that these people research it, like will go back and watch game tapes and remember this, remember that person and blah, blah, and this like kind of trivia knowledge of all of the stuff that's been going on for however long the WWE has been around for. And I think that's a really fascinating point, like of like seeing that that side of stuff. Because you could say the same thing about uh, like Comic Cons as well and being like, oh, it's dumb. People show up and they get in, dress up and, you know, walk around and pretend to be people they're not. And it's like, yeah, but they love it and they have so much fun and they're all really nice people and they're there mm-hmm. to support each other and whatever outlet that does for someone. It's just a, it's a great kind of thing to be a part of and at least have the opportunity to work with these people on that side of stuff. So Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a, a major creative side to both the Comic-Con and the wrestling, the cosplay, those things. I was talking with someone just the other day. She wants to get into sewing, and one of the reasons why she wants to learn how to sew is so that she can go and participate in some of these cosplay activities or, or conferences, whatever they're called. And I, it was the first time it really struck me because I'm one of those guys who was like, yeah, that, that seems kind of like a kind of a silly dress up thing to me. But when she mentioned that, I got to thinking about the creative outlet that that, that, that is, you know, to be able to put your, your work and effort into something like that. Still not something that I would do, but I could, I have a, a greater appreciation because she came from that perspective and kind of illuminated a little more to me than what I had known before. And uh, I can see that wrestling has definitely done that for you now, working with this uh, particular group of people. Oh, yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. That's awesome. John, why has it been so long, over two years, two years plus, that we've, <laughs> that we've done this? Um, I have, I have I no idea. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things that we just always kind of – our paths cross, and I see you guys posting on, you know, on all the, on the pages and stuff like that, and then just being crazy busy. It's, it's always yeah. so much fun talking to you guys as well, like just – I, I mean, Colt and I had a phone call, I think, yesterday, being like, so what do, what do we want to talk about? And he was like, I don't know, we'll just, you know, obviously COVID's going to come up, and then, uh, you know, we'll just uh, see what conspiracy theories come up. And uh, like yeah. that. We'll bounce around. I'm just glad this time that uh, I have, uh, I got a full night's sleep last night. I, I seem to remember last time I'd either had an hour's sleep or no sleep. I think I'd driven down from Chicago or something. Um, yeah. I was deliriously tired, so I think it'd be kind of funny uh-huh. to go back and listen to that for sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah you there, should. There, I, go ahead. I was going to say there, there, there's some guests that we have on that if they ask, "What do you want to talk about?" and I'm just like, "Let's start with one topic," because I don't want to get, I don't want to talk, say we're going to talk about five different things because there's a good possibility we won't get past the first one. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. yeah, that's fair. I mean, have you guys ever had that? I mean, you guys, you know can talk and you're knowledgeable about what you do but have you ever had guests where you've just gone oh this is a little bit i mean don't name any names obviously but like have you had Mm -hmm. people on where you've found that you're like trying to like pull teeth basically where you're just like oh yes yeah yes we have it's been a while now because we kind of we try to select for that a little more nowadays but you know when we were first starting out we didn't have that intuition or that that insight to know Mm -hmm. you know exactly what we were for and so we would just stumble on with people and it was like trying to extract teeth from uh, uh, you know whatever you know yeah, insert yeah. funny you know. but yeah <laughs> it was uh, and, and we weren't um 
we, we didn't have our skills polished quite yet either. And so you know, that kind of works both ways. As a good podcast host, you have to be able to kind of know how to extract that information from people. And that comes in especially handy when that person really doesn't have a whole lot to say or they have a really short maybe just just very small sentence answers and then silence. And so you have to constantly be hitting that tennis ball back to them in order to keep the conversation going. So I mean, we, it's, we, it's a little better that we, that it's two of us because we can kind of between the two of us, you know, keep trying to extract information with different questions and stuff. But if it's solo and you're talking to somebody who, you know, isn't really giving you much back when you ask questions, it, it can, it's a short episode for sure. Yeah. 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 As opposed to ours, which go on like a, a saga. <laughs> it's like, oh, we just yeah, we yeah. asked him one question, and now he's given himself seven more questions, and then answered our original question. Solid. And as you're and, and as you're responding, I, I, there's just you know thing after thing, idea after idea that's coming up into my mind. Well, I could talk about that. We could talk about that. We could talk about that. So I have to do some whittling down, even <laughs> as you're responding to the original question, and so. Hence yeah. the uh, the hours long conversations that yeah, we can point, have. Yeah, points one through seven, like good. And now I'm going to bring you to point eight that I really want to talk about. <laughs> John, we appreciate you coming on, man. I'm glad to hear things are going well for you. And, and of course, we're going to check in. You know, we're going to follow you around. Um, we're going to definitely give the the links to to what you've got on in our show notes. You know, so just want to encourage everybody to go to buyjack.com. Um, of course, we have shirts on buyjack.com slash CEP, and we just we really appreciate, man, your products are great. Um, your conversations are awesome. I love what you guys do with Let's Get Comfortable, and man, just keep up the great work, dude. Good to see you again. Let's not make it two years next time, though. Let's Absolutely. let's get together because I'm sure we will have plenty to talk about. Absolutely, yeah, especially when we get out of this quarantine. We'll all sit down together and uh, have a beer or two. Absolutely. That sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks again, John. All right, guys. Thanks, you. All right. Thank you again to John Beebe and thank you, CP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like a spongy headband during an intense workout for us. So don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume all those podcasts that you love so much so that you can keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, you would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, you know that we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials, when in fact, you do give us all your love on the socials. So bring it on, baby. Bring it on. And be sure to visit the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Also, remember that we now have official CEP merch at buyjack.com slash CEP. That's B-Y-J-A-C-K dot com slash CEP. So get online and get your CEP gear today. Now, that's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and warm out there and support small business. See ya.